Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. All right, are we ready to jump in? Uh, here, full disclosure, here's the deal. Uh, we're going to finish our airplane mode series today. We've been talking about spiritual disciplines. And uh, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, I mapped out this whole series of where, where I kind of felt like God was leading us. And I had one, two, three, four, five messages planned out. Uh, but on Sunday, or on, on Monday, I'm sorry, this last Monday, we were, we were praying here Monday morning. I kind of felt like God kind of just gave me a little nudge, like, hey, we're going to go a different direction for Sunday. And so uh, whenever that kind of happens, a lot of times it's because uh, what I have to share is, is not my words, they're God's words, and they, they want to be spoken to somebody or some people in the room uh, because he wants you to know that he sees you and he sees your situation. So I am excited for today. If you are excited for what God wants to speak to you, can we just get excited and give me one solid, yeah. yeah. Let's go. One thing I hate, especially as a teenager, was when my parents were right. I hated it. It was the worst because it happened a lot, but a lot of times I didn't have to let them know that, right? A lot of times like they would say, hey, Derek, don't do that. That's going to pan out, and it didn't, but they didn't know that it didn't pan out, so I'm not going to tell them it didn't pan out because then they would be right, right? There, there, there are so many times when they would be right, and I hated that, but there are so many times in which I didn't have to tell them they were right until it's undeniable that they were right, you were wrong, and life is all peachy, right? That's just the greatest when you're 16 years old. Like for me, when the first day was March 28th, whenever year it was, I had just turned 16 and one day old. So it was the first day I had my driver's license and I was stoked. I got up early. I crawled in in the truck that my dad had kind of gotten ready for me. And I was going to go to McDonald's before school because you can, because you can drive yourself. I was all excited. And so I run upstairs. I grab the keys, throw my backpack. I'm in the process of getting out the garage door frame. My dad yells, Derek, watch the mirror on your way out. And I was thinking to myself, Dad, I have been driving with my permit for one whole year. Okay? Give me this. Okay? I'm not going to just run the truck into the side of the garage. And so... You know, I get into, get into my truck, put the key in the ignition, start, start the car, plug in my phone is the first thing because you got to be bumping to music on your first day with your driver's license. That's the most important thing. I don't think I even put my seatbelt on first before I got my music ready to go. Jumped in the front seat, put the car in reverse, and I'm backing out slowly with my favorite songs on. I'm like, this is the greatest day of my life. I look in this rearview mirror, I look in the rearview mirror, looking good, looking good, looking good, looking good. Good, looking good, looking good. Oh, sure enough, the one mirror my dad was trying to make sure I knew of on the right side of the garage, um, I wasn't really paying attention to on my way out. And what had happened was the actual glass of the mirror hit the edge of the garage and flexed and put three perfectly succinct stripes right down my mirror. And so, sure enough, throw it in drive, go a little bit more forward turn the ignition off, I no sooner open the door and yell, Dad! Silence. I told you! Like, I know. Thank you for that. And then sure enough, he goes, we'll fix it later. Not a big deal. Have a good day. And he was so cool about it. It was annoying. I was like, Dad, just tell me I'm like the worst or something. Because now I feel worse that you didn't just come down on me. But he did gloat about it. Like, I told you, I told you, I told you. But I got to say, 
in all honesty, when I had that mirror snap and kind of get just crunched, it was that moment of like, I do not for anything want to go back in my house right now because I do not want to admit that I did something wrong. I don't want to admit that I got it wrong. As human beings, we don't like to admit that we're wrong, and that can be a problem. Luke chapter 18, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. This is a parable taught by Jesus. One of them was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, this is a parable. Jesus often taught in these parables or these metaphors to be able to kind of explain everything. And so that's what we have right here, right now. And there's a lot to this story that we can't forget because it paints the picture. In this story, these men go up to the temple. In ancient Israel, there were dedicated times of prayer. So at this time of the day, this time of the day, and this time of the day, those are the times you'd be encouraged to go to the temple and pray. But outside of those times, there's also times you could go up to the temple anytime. If you just needed to go and pray for a special reason or a special occasion, you were welcome to do so. And that's exactly what we have here in this parable. These two men go outside of the time of prayer. Likely there's only a few people there, and two men go up to pray. The first one is a Pharisee. And a Pharisee, as I've taught about before, the Pharisees were kind of the religious elite of the day. They were the the people who lived by a certain moral code. I don't do this. I don't do that. I make sure I don't do this. I give a tenth of all I get. I fast twice a week. I do all these things to be hyper, 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 hyper religious. And so when you break down this, I want to show you because there's so many intricate parts of this. The Bible says that this Pharisee was standing by himself. What that tells us basically, the best way I can explain it is as if he was in the front of the room. If you were to walk into the sanctuary and you were to see somebody who was up at the front of this room down on their knees praying, you would think, wow, they're really getting after it. Wow, they must really be in tune with God. There's that appearance of, man, they look really, really spiritual. And that's what this man was doing. He was up in the front. He was all by himself and he was praying out loud. And what is he praying about? What is he saying? He's saying, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like the evildoers. I'm not like the people who are corrupt. I'm not like the bad people. I, God, have been doing the right things, and I'm thankful for that. I fast twice a week like nobody else does. I give a tenth of everything I get, which is like a lot compared to everybody else. I do all of these great things, God. And the Greek, which was originally written in the New Testament, the Greek kind of gives us this clue that this this prayer was kind of like lavish and eloquent and sophisticated. Have you ever heard two doctors communicate? I'm convinced they're not speaking English because the words they're using are so big, right? Like you have 
Mr. Mom, you have like four words I don't understand. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, am, am I terminal? No, it means you have gas. Okay, thank you. Just say that then, right? Like, you don't have to get into all these scientific words. It's the same thing that we got going on here. Like, it's very eloquent, very sophisticated. Those who would hear this prayer by the Pharisee would go, wow, he is special. That's the first man. The second man is a tax collector. And I've talked about tax collectors in length before, but the tax collectors were like the despised people of the day. Why? Because tax collectors, they were hired by the government, and here's what would happen. Let's say Rome needs five shekels from you for taxes. Tax collectors, when, the, when, when Mary and Martha or whoever comes up to pay their taxes, they would say, hey, you actually owe eight shekels for your taxes. And what happened is they would give the five they need to give to Rome, and they would pocket the rest. They would steal from their own people, and everybody knew that, but there was nothing they could do to change it because if you didn't pay taxes, you went to jail or you were killed. They didn't have a choice. So naturally, these tax collectors are not well-liked. They're hated, as a matter of fact. So let's take a little deep dive into what's it looking like for the tax collector? What's his scenario when he's sitting here in the temple? The tax collector stood at a distance. He stood at a distance. What does that mean? Well, in Jewish culture, when this was written, your proximity to the symbol of God exemplified your connection with God. To this day, as a matter of fact, if you were to jump on a plane tomorrow and go to Israel today, there's a place in Israel called the Wailing Wall. And the Wailing Wall, allegedly behind it, is where the Ark of the Covenant was held which is like the symbol of where God lived. So every single day in ancient Israel to this day, you will have devout Jewish peoples who will go up to the wall as close as they can get to the brick because the closer you are to the symbol of God, the closer you are to him in actuality. Put a different way, the closer you are physically to God, the closer you are spiritually to God. Distance was significant in this time. And so here you are, you have the Pharisee at the front of the room, you have this tax collector at a distance, he's in the back. Why? He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. When you have kids, you know when they did something wrong. How? Because it looks like they they come up and they can't even look at you, right? Like, what happened? Look at me. It is like the most painful thing for them to look at you because they feel all the guilt and all the embarrassment they knowing they did something wrong. The same thing is happening here with this text. He can't even look up to heaven because he is so embarrassed by the weight of his sin and his mistakes. I'm not going to ask if anyone's been there, but I think all of us can empathize with what it's like when we feel like we did something wrong and we feel the weight of that. It goes all the way back to the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned. And they ate the apple and they brought sin into the world. What did they do? They hid. They ran. They clothed themselves because they were embarrassed. They were ashamed of what they had done. And they're hiding. The same thing is happening with this Pharisee. He can't even look up to heaven. And he's beating his chest going, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. We can see the contrast between the two, right? We can see the person who on the outside, the Pharisee, he's doing everything right. He is, he is like a perfect, meticulous follower of God. He gives, he fasts, he, he lives and, and makes sure his life is not corrupted by the sin. It looks like everything on the outside looks really, really great. 
And then this man over here, the one who's actually got stuff, we see him just like in a mess in a puddle going, I'm just I'm so heavy right now. And this is where the parable kind of shifts. Because those listening to the parable would go, oh yeah, surely this guy over here is the one that's loved and blessed by God. Surely not that man. But what does Jesus say in verse 14? I tell you, this man, the tax collector, the sinner, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Church, this morning we're going to talk about one last spiritual discipline that for a lot of us is a challenge, present company included. The spiritual discipline that I want to talk about is so well highlighted in Luke chapter 18 because it kind of gives credence to the fact that there is no sin, no weight, no mistake that is too large or too big for God to forgive. God's love, God's forgiveness, God's mercy will always transcend our mistakes and our sins. I don't care how big. But Luke chapter 18 shows the importance of a critical spiritual discipline known as confession. Now, full disclosure, when I hear the word confession, I think of like how my grandmother introduced me to church years ago. My grandmother is a devout, faithful Catholic woman. My grandmother is awesome. So when I was 11 years old, I was getting interested, not getting interested, but uh, they were making me get interested in religion class. They took me to the Catholic church where they showed us, here's what religion class looks like, and they talked to us about this whole idea of confession, where when you're done with confirmation, you would go and sit on the other side of a wall with a priest and dump all the mistakes and sins you've made. And I tell you, as a 13-year-old boy, that was terrifying, okay? That was absolutely mortifyingly like scary to think of. There's a lot of things that a 13-year-old boy that I don't want to tell anybody, let alone somebody else on the other side of a thing. And it, was, it, it, it petrified me because I was like, that is not good. Like, I'm terrified of that. But I'm going to tell you right now, when you hear the word confession, that is not when we look at Scripture, when we look at what the Bible says, what I'm going to talk about confession today, I am not talking about the Catholic practice of confession. Because the Catholic practice of confession, I'm not here to blast it. I'm not here to say it's wrong. I have nothing to say about it. All I'm saying is it's different. Because in the Catholic belief system, what happens is when you go and give a confession, you're confessing to the priest who's a mediator to God. What we're going to talk about today is that I believe Jesus is the mediator. And so you can go right to him and ask for forgiveness yourself. So this is not the same thing. The Greek word we get for confession is homoloheo, which means to say the same thing as. Now, when I read that, I was like, cool, that's as clear as mud. That makes no sense. To say the same thing as, what does that even mean? When you break it down, what confession's all about, what the word quite literally means is to see sin the same way that God sees it. Can I put it really simply? What is confession? It's saying exactly what's going on and not sugarcoating. Here's the thing. We know what, we serve a God who is omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. He knows everything. So that means he knows your greatest, most amazing accomplishments. He knows when you took the high road. He knows when you did something nice that nobody else sees. He knows when you went above and beyond the call of duty for something. He knows it. 
He's proud of you. It's awesome. But he's omniscient. He knows everything. He also knows the thing that happened that nobody knows about. The thing that was done that you don't want to go there because you feel guilt, you feel shame, you feel like, oh, I am just, that was not a good part of my story. When I did this, when I did that to that person, when I succumbed to this, he knows everything. And so when we talk about confession, it's not a matter of cluing him into something he doesn't know about because he knows it all. Confession is about us acknowledging that this happened, us acknowledging that he knows what's going on. And so who do you confess to? What is confession? I'm going to break this down really practically, and then really we're going to come all around for a circle and end here. But what is confession? Confession is to say the same thing as to who? You can either do confession privately or corporately. Privately. What's private confession? That is between you and God, and that's it. Between you and him. Whether you're in your truck, whether you're in your bedroom, whether you're in your own mind, Private confession is a matter of you admitting a sin, a mistake, a regret, something you did wrong to God. Again, I'm not talking like, a God, I kind of, kind of like cut somebody off and raised my temper and, you know, got a little heated when I was driving. It's like, no. Hey, God, I acknowledge that that guy cut me off and I flipped him the bird and I yelled at him through my window, okay? I confess that. It's being real. It's being authentic. It's being raw, privately with God, because he already knows it. That's private confession. Corporate confession is not you going onto a street corner with a microphone telling everybody what you did. Not the same thing. Corporate confession is when you go to a trusted friend, a trusted mentor, a pastor, somebody that you know, you love, you trust, and letting them know what happened. Why? James chapter 5. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We have a mediator. His name is Jesus, who can forgive you. He can take away all the sin, all the bad, all the ugly. He can take it away like that when we confess. But there's value to telling another person so they can speak life and encouragement back into you. You're not defined by your sin. You're defined by his mercy. Confession, privately and corporately, both serve a purpose. And so what is the purpose? Okay, because can we just call a spade a spade? Confession's not easy. It's not fun to just unearth all of the things, all of the things that we don't like to talk about, the things that make us feel bad, the things that make us feel ashamed, the things that make us feel like, oh, I really just hate that that happened. It's not enjoyable, is it? But why do we do it? Surely it must have a purpose. And I, I, I believe there are two very succinct purposes to confession. And the first one is this. Confession justifies us. Luke chapter 18, what did, God, what did Jesus say? I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. That word justified is all over the New Testament, especially in the book of Romans. Paul talked about this word justified a lot. Because he says this in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or five seconds, you will sin. 
Whether you're a Christian or not, you will sin. Every single person in this room, every single person that can hear my voice, every single person I will see today, we all have had moments in our life where we fall short of the glory of God. He says that in verse 23. But look what he says in 24. But all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Verse 28, for we maintain that a person is, here's the word again, justified by the faith apart from the works of the law. Yeah, we've all sinned. We all will sin. We've all been given opportunity to let go of that sin. We've all been given a way to make it right. See, a lot of times we try to fix it. We try to say, you know what? Like, yeah, I screwed that up, but God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like, just do a bunch of five really good things to make up for it. That's what you need to do. You've been justified by your faith. You've been justified by the grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. When you confess sin, it justifies us. It makes us right with God again. Why? Because God is a very just God, which means he's very objective. See, you can go to a courtroom, you can go to a trial, and they will try to retain objectivity for the fairness of that trial. But even a courtroom is not as objective as God. God sees everything. He knows everything, which is why if you're going 70 and a 55, you're going to get a ticket probably. And you would say, you can't argue with it because you, you, you went 15 over, right? We, we, can't, we can get on board with that. We can't get on board with the fact of why would a just God send somebody to hell? Well, he doesn't send us to hell. He's a perfect, righteous, just God. He knows objectivity to the nth degree. But hear me out. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. It's why Jesus came. Because he wants us to be in connection with him. He doesn't want us to go to hell. He doesn't want us to do these things. He wants us to be right with him. And the way we get right with him is by asking for forgiveness and accepting what he's done for us. I'm speaking a lot of Christian language right now. I understand that, and it's for a reason. Because the reality is Jesus, at his very core, he wants you to be close to him. The sinner, in verse 13, he's beating his chest going, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. Sin, I, I understand. I get it. I made a mistake. There is nothing I can possibly do to deny that I have done some really corrupt things in my life. But I'm asking God for your mercy. Because only you can make it right. Only you can forgive. And that is what he's pleading. I love how 1 John says it this way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be honest. You don't have to have a perfect, meticulous life free of sin and mistakes. No, you're not even asked to do that because it's impossible. But you are asked to be honest and confess what we do wrong in our life because that's how we receive the grace and the mercy that he died for on the cross. Do you know why the cross exists? Do you know why we worship Jesus? Do you know why it's so important to have a saving faith in Jesus? Because you can't be perfect on your own. You can try. Be my guest. I've tried. It doesn't work. You can try so, 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 so hard to clench your fist, grit your teeth, and go, I am not going to screw up today. It's not going to work. 
as human beings, we just we make mistakes. But what Jesus did is he didn't make a mistake. He lived perfect. But when he was nailed to the cross, he took your sin, my sin, the sins of my grandfathers, the sins of my kids and my kids and my kids, kids, kids. He took all of them on his shoulders and died and went down to the grave where they will live. He went through hell and he conquered it and came back so that if we confess to him and we believe in him, we're not defined by our sin. We're defined by that mercy that he gives. So why do you confess? It makes you right with him again. But church, here's where I really think the second reason, this is where I think people struggle with even more. Why confess? It justifies you. But the second reason, it sets you free. Richard Foster, a book called Celebration of Discipline, wrote this. Forgiveness positions us in a right relationship toward God. But healing frees us from the domination of our present by our past. You can be in relationship with God, but still be a slave to your past. God can forgive you for the things that you've done in your past, but you can't forgive yourself. Confession makes you right with God, yes, but confession is also meant to set you free. Galatians chapter 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And that is where I really believe God gave me that nudge of like there are people in this very room who cannot let go of the past. You can't let yourself off the hook for something you did, something that defined you or defined your story so you think. I believe God is saying it's time to let that go. And here's what I mean. We've been talking about spiritual disciplines for the last four or five weeks, right? We've been talking about scripture. We've been talking about prayer. We've been talking about silence and solitude, giving. We've been talking about all these things. But here's what I'll tell you. You can read the Bible from cover to cover and still be living by the domination of your past. You can pray and 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 pray. pray. Circles around your life, but still be chained by the things that you regret. You can get alone. You can be in silence and solitude for hours at a time. You can give 10%, 20%, 30%. But at the end of the day, there's still a part of you in your brain where you feel like the mistakes, the regrets, the sins that you have are right here firmly on your shoulders. Because here's the thing. We all view sin separately. Maybe you shouldn't have had that outburst on the road on the way home feel kind of bad about it. Maybe that dude had something going on. Maybe he was going through something, but yeah, it's all good. God knows. Okay? But if we're really honest, I think there are others of us who were going, man, I know last time I got drunk that I said some really horrible things. My wife my husband, my kids. Should have, I, I, I asked for forgiveness, but they, my kids don't talk to me now. They don't want to even be in the same room as me because I just, what I said scared them. And so we go to church, we ask for forgiveness, we know that, that God forgave us, but at the same time, we can't let go of the fact that we can't forgive ourselves because the pain that we caused was just too much. I caused some real pain, God. Cool, you forgave me, but my kids don't. It's heavy. 
And a lot of times, the more and more and more we try to get right with God, the more we try to earn it, the more we figure with this, these chains are just heavy because like I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to get this guilt off my back, this shame off my back, but I can't do it. And after a while of this guilt and this shame that you've been feeling, after a while, it feels insurmountable. And you feel so worn down. Yeah, God, it's cool that you can forgive people, but you don't understand. That affair wrecked things. That legal trouble scarred my family. You don't understand. Cool, I understand that if we confess our sins, he can make us right with him. But at the end of the day, I feel like the weight of the mistakes I made are just too much for me to bear. Church, we walk around with these chains every single day. You wake up in the morning and you're aware of your regret. You wake up in the morning and you're aware that if I hadn't done that, maybe something would be different. And after a while, you just get used to this heaviness on your shoulders that you will never, ever shake. And it tears you apart. And it keeps you from being free. It keeps you from connecting with God because you can't possibly accept forgiveness from God if you can't forgive yourself. We carry so much weight on our shoulders all of the time because we don't want to confess it because it's too hard. There's so many times, it's like I don't, I can't even get these these words out of my mouth because I'm so ashamed of it. But what happens is when you confess, it makes you right with him. But it also sets us free. Because we understand that everybody sins. Everybody makes mistakes. And all of a sudden we go, oh, I don't have to be defined by my past. I don't have to be defined by my mistakes. I don't have to be defined by the things that I got wrong. I am defined by him. I am defined by what he says about me. I am defined by what my life is going to be. Second Corinthians chapter 5, for the old is you and the, the old is gone, the new is here. You are a new creation set free from the shame and the chains that we have around our neck. Satan would love nothing more then to go, look at these chains, look what you did. Because he know that the more chains you have on you, not only is he keeping you from him, but he's keeping you from living the life that you're called to live. I can't run a 5K with those things on. I can run a 5K without them. You can't live the life God's called you to live. You're holding on to your chains. You can't go do the things he's called you to do if you hate yourself for what you've done. God doesn't see you for a broken, wretched sinner that Satan likes to think you he does. Hebrews says, I will remember your sin no more. I will make you white as snow, pure and holy. It's time to accept the forgiveness. You might have known that God's forgiven you for a long time. It's time for you to allow you to forgive yourself. You can be free. You know what confession's not? Confession is not self-deprecation. 
Confession's not saying, I am just the worst. I am terrible. I am horrible. I'm the worst person in the world. That's not confession. That's self-deprecation. Confession is going, God, I made some real mistakes and I'm sorry. That's confession. That's what he's after. He's not looking for you to beat yourself up. He's looking for you to be honest and admit what's going on. Confession is not self-seclusion. You can't run. He knows. Don't feel like you have to. One of the best, best, best things that happened to me in Bible college on my own is there was a time in college when I was really struggling with some sin, really struggling with this pattern of sin that I couldn't seem to shake. And there was one night I was going to the prayer room and I was by myself. It was 11 o'clock at night and I started to break because I just felt the weight of my chains. It happened just open to Luke chapter 18. I read the story of a tax collector who was out the exact same thing. And in that moment, it was like God said, Derek, quit hiding. Be honest. Let go. I've already forgiven you. And I walked out of that place feeling so much lighter. Because for so long, it's almost like I was playing peekaboo with God that he couldn't see me. But he does. And we admit it. It's like, see? I've loved you the whole time. Confession is not self-seclusion. Confession is not condemnation. When you confess, it's not like you're signing your death certificate and, yep, I acknowledge I did this. Give me my punishment. Confession is the doorway to forgiveness, redemption, and healing. And when you confess, it might get worse, but it'll get better. You're not being condemned. You're being forgiven and redeemed slowly. Confession is restorative and redemptive. It will restore your walk with God and it will redeem you. I'll close with this. Peter, a man that said, Jesus, I don't care what comes, hell or high water, I will defend you. I will stand next to you. I will be there at your beck and call whenever you need me. And he failed three times critically three times in John chapter 21 maybe 22 somewhere in there Peter is carrying a chain around his neck knowing he let Jesus down and he is feeling it you can see it in his body language you can see it in the way he's carrying himself you can see that he's got that chain right around his neck and Jesus goes right at him and says Peter do you love me Peter goes, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Ask him again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And in that moment, Peter runs the life he's called to run. Peter goes from that moment to being the rock of the early church, the leader of the group, because he was forgiven the way he had messed up. My challenge for you, it's a tough one as we finish this series. But it's time to confess. Privately, corporately, a trusted friend, by yourself in your truck, writing it down and throwing it in the trash, whatever it looks like, big or small, 
Let God know what's going on. And accept the forgiveness and the mercy and grace that he offers. You can run with freedom the life you're called to run. Church, we're called to be set free. We're called to live in forgiveness and joy and freedom. So we can't talk about spiritual disciplines and ignore this one because more than anything else, Jesus wants to be close to you. And you can't be close if we're keeping at arm's length because we're too embarrassed to go to him. Be honest. Accept his love, his forgiveness, and his mercy. And you will feel the closeness of God like never before. A hope, a joy, and a purpose like never before. You accept it and admit what's going on. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, as a group, as a whole, as an individual praying right now, Lord, God, I ask that you would forgive us. God, for the big things, for the small things. The things that aren't a huge deal, but we still know they're wrong, to the things that have defined our history up to this point. I pray, God, that you would forgive us. With a posture like that of the tax collector, we we humbly ask God for your mercy. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask, God, that you would take the weight, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, the things that are wrapped around us, God. I pray in Jesus' name that you would take them off, that you would set us free through the blood of Christ who has broken and died on the cross for us. Jesus, we admit that we've made mistakes and we accept that you're bigger than our mistakes. I pray, Jesus, that we would walk out of this place today not defined by our sin, but defined by our, your grace and your forgiveness. Give us a spirit of freedom this week, Lord. Use us. Empower us to live the life you've called us to live. Set us free, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know who it is, don't know what it looks like, but let go of the chains this week and watch how God moves in you, through you, and through our town. If you're excited for that, just put your hands together this morning. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.